And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. There's a man going round taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around? Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers, 100 million angels singing, multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying Some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree The virgins are all trimming their wicks The whirlwind is in the thorn tree it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks Till Armageddon, no shalom, no shalom Then the father hen will call his chickens home The wise men will bow down before the throne And at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns Whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down. When the man comes around. Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers. One hundred million angels singing Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying 
some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In measured a hundredweight and penny pound. When the man comes around. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him. Welcome, everyone. We hope you enjoyed that intro. Mr. Johnny Cash singing When the Man Comes Around. Um, who knew that uh, Who knew that people were trying to talk about the kingdom come, even in song form, so very far back? And I think it would be interesting to look at some of the old hymnal lyrics and to see how much they talked about the kingdom come. Because I feel like in our last maybe 70, 80 years of, of modern church culture and evolution of that culture. Um, we've truly lost the message of the kingdom come yeah. and no one really understands the end goal of all this. This is where you get all the rise of this amillennial style teaching, which, which claims that we're just going to slowly make the kingdom come happen. Um, there's even a more extreme version now called the And it's just, uh, it breaks my heart because it's like, there's only one who's been appointed to make that happen. And only he is the one who's the king of that kingdom when that kingdom comes. And it's just replete throughout the book. And it hurts my heart, you know, gets people off the, the true hope that we have or the resurrection into the kingdom and how, how the earth is going to have peace on it. Yeah. And um, I went to a really tiny little uh, non-denominational church of Christ when I first became a Christian and they had that old hymnal, you know, and we didn't have any instruments or anything with our singing. Um, but yeah, I would love to go back and read a lot of those and look at the lyrics and <clears throat> see what was being sung about that I wasn't really catching on to because I didn't understand it at that point. But yeah, Johnny Cash, <clears throat> as far as I can tell, was a devout believer and he did whole gospel albums and he did a whole gospel movie, I think, called On the Gospel Road or something like that. Um so, and he does a lot of the old school hymnals. So if you're, if you didn't know that Johnny Cash had a whole bunch of Christian songs, you can just look that up on YouTube and, you know, in fact, we were going to play Amazing Grace by him as well, but we figured we didn't want to go too long with the music intro. So no, buddy. No, we can't do that. No, go on. Go, sweetie. I guess there's some thunder outside. So one of our dogs <laughs> He's can't handle to... it. Yeah, but we won't thank you for uh, joining us here today at the Sabbath Fellowship. This is Kingdom in Context. I'm Sean, joined by my lovely wife and unborn child, Lindsay and Levi. Hey guys, Shabbat Shalom. We want to give you guys a big shout out to all of our moderators that are here in the live chat. Thank you so much for holding it down. Helping to remind folks that we're just going to go over some scriptures in the beginning and we will not take questions until the end. And uh, that's why it's called a Sabbath Fellowship and a Q&A. And so just while we're doing, while we're actually reviewing the scriptures, we just want to encourage everyone in the live chat to remain focused on what we're actually talking about. Please no side tangent argument or arguments or topics brought up. You know, we, there's plenty of time for that, but 
we just people a lot of people are here that actually genuinely want to learn the bible and then we hope to go over scriptures to help teach the bible so right. you know your your car repair let's leave that out of the live chat your drama your okay. drama with your in-laws let's leave that out of the live chat um how your your teenage son disobeyed and rebelled against you this past week let's leave that out of the live chat for now we're going to do a q a at the end and it's be more a little bit more you know open and and everything but um i guess that's our encouragement we can't stop you from doing whatever but um if the moderators decide that you're just distracting people from paying attention they may mute you um and until later so just just be aware okay all right um so today we wanted to talk about um a few chapters we wanted to read and review from a book that used to be in a lot of the canons used to be in our american canon right. but uh was, was kind of slowly and quietly edged out about 120 years ago with new publications and new printings of Bibles. They started printing only 66 books instead of 80. Yeah. And this is one that actually it doesn't, nobody really talks about it being removed. Nobody really goes on uh, crusades against it. Like they do some of the other ones. Yeah. So I've never really heard why this one was removed from some Bibles. It seems to have sound theology in it. So so we're going to take a quick look at uh, the wisdom of Solomon. And this is, uh, we're going to start in chapter three, read uh, chapters three, four, and five. Okay. And we'll start here in um, chapter three, one through six. The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God. Uh, no torment shall touch them. They seemed, actually, you know what, I think this is verse 1 through 3, but small typo. Um, they seemed in the view of the foolish to be dead, and their passing away was thought an affliction. But they're in peace. For if to others, indeed, they seemed punished, yet is their hope full of immortality. Chastised a little, they shall be greatly blessed, because God tried them and found them worthy of himself. I think you skipped a line in there. Did I? I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm, I'm trying to multitask and think of some things and I'm messed up. Let's try this again. The souls of the righteous are in the hand of God and no torment shall touch them. They seemed in the view of the foolish to be dead and their passing away was thought an affliction and they're going forth from us utter destruction. But they're in peace for if to others indeed they seem punished yet yet is their hope full of immortality. Chastised a little they shall be greatly blessed because God tried them and found them worthy of himself. As gold in the furnace, he proved them, and as sacrificial offerings, he took them to himself. In the time of their judgment, they shall shine and dart about as sparks through stubble. They shall judge nations and rule over peoples, and the Lord shall be their king forever. Those who trust in him shall understand truth, and the faithful shall abide with him in love, because grace and mercy are with his holy ones, and his care is with the elect. But the wicked shall receive a punishment to match their thoughts, since they neglected righteousness and forsook. Yahweh, the Lord. So this is just a couple verses from the first first uh, two chapters here, or from the first chapter, chapter three. Guys, I apologize. I'm super, I'm super tired today. <laughs> yeah, we're both having a very sluggish day. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so we just, I apologize if I'm having a slow brain today. But um, so any thoughts in these first opening verses here in chapter three that you um, would like to talk about? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it, so much of this stuff where it um, contrasts believers with unbelievers 
hits so close to home for me because I've been both. <laughs> I was an unbeliever and now I'm a believer. And I definitely uh, would have been in that crowd who, I mean, I don't know if I would have wanted people to be persecuted unto death for being Christians, but I definitely thought they were deserving of judgment and punishment and silent being silenced and um, how they should have no say in our government and our laws and things like that. So it's just interesting seeing him talk about that contrast where to the, to the outsiders, to the people who aren't righteous and saved, um, you know, it seems in the view of the foolish that we are dead and our passing away is thought an affliction and utter destruction. Like, like they got what they deserved. Yes, okay. exactly. Right. I mean, I how else can people be, how else can, um, a population of people be, um, incited to create something like a genocide, like say in Armenia, okay. you know, to kill a bunch of Christians and think that they're doing a good thing when they're killing those people for their faith, right. you know? So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the wisdom of the Lord is foolishness to the wicked, mm -hmm. to those perishing, but this idea that they would see righteous people being killed and thank other either getting what they deserved or uh, good riddance to them. But, or they think that they're being tormented, you know, or they they go they're going to go to uh, be reincarnated as a bug and get squashed right. because they were right. um, they were so immoral from us mm -hmm. and their crazy beliefs of righteous standards. But the the writer of the wisdom of Solomon is just trying to tell you, like, look for for those who are righteous, uh, the souls of the righteous, they're actually going to be in peace. Yeah. All right. Now this isn't talking about going up to heaven when you die. Your soul goes to Sheol to await right. resurrection. But that place is a place of peace, right? So you're not there's, you're not you don't have to pay bills in Sheol. Yeah. Um, you don't have to worry about home break-ins or getting mugged on the street. Yeah. You don't have to worry about neighboring <laughs> countries invading. It's just a place of peace, right? It's guarded by angels, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a place of, of peace and rest. Um, very interesting. And of course, immortality is the hope that you get out and get an eternal life, the John three sixteen moment. And so it's very interesting. Um, now there's a comparison here as, as sacrificial offerings, as gold in the furnace, mm -hmm. he proved them as the sacrificial offerings. He took them to himself. And so it's not saying you're literally an offering. It's just, this is more language, assuming you know how the old Testament works, right. assuming you know how the proper process of priests in the temple offering to Yahweh, how that whole thing works. Therefore they can draw these metaphors from that process. And so that you understand, um, you know, these are things that are valued and highly uh, considered highly precious to the father. That's like he viewed the sacrifices. Right. That's why I wanted to be of a certain nature. And I love this passage here. In the time of their judgment, they shall shine and dart about as sparks through stubble. Because we're going to be glorified and made like the angels who are considered ministering flames of fire. Um, also have radiating, illuminated with the joy of God, with the light of God, the power of God, a Holy Spirit fullness, not just the deposit. Right. So we're going to be illuminated with light as well as be able to... as. As the book of Second Brew talks about, we'll be able to um, change into any form that we may desire. This is also exactly like we see angels are able to do. Mm -hmm. Just like we see Yeshua exemplify after his resurrection when he can somehow just appear inside of a locked room. So that means you've changed your body to, right. to go through a locked room. You can't. There's no open windows or doors. But he just appears inside like an angel does. Um, and I honestly would say this is the properties of water that you can turn into a mist. Right. And then you can, you know, you can go to an, uh, a place that's supposedly enclosed, but not, but still porous to a degree. And you can, you can move through the walls if you needed to. Right. 
Yeah, we were actually talking about this last night because recent debates with Trinitarians have sparked this um, hyper fixation on our understanding of the physical makeup of spirit. When you say God is spirit, well, yeah. what does that mean? What is spirit? And, you know, Sean's saying it's water and spirit. It, there's two, the power two of kinds of bodies. Spirit, yeah. There's earthy, which is dirt and spirit, the breath of God. <clears throat> and there's heavenly, which is water and spirit, which is the breath of God, the power of God. Um, but to me, I think a lot of these people, um, aside from the fact that they're, they've got, 15 pairs of glasses on, you know, filtering what they're reading from the scriptures through this Trinitarian doctrine. They also, they haven't, they, I don't think they've ever seen some of the really interesting information and documentaries on water that you and I have seen and others um, probably in our chat are familiar with about water actually being a very mysterious substance in terms of our understanding of physics, just basic physics um, and how there are a lot of things that human beings don't know about water and don't understand. Um, and it's one of the only, I'd say it's the only substance on earth in creation that we really don't fully understand. There are so many aspects to it um, that have yet to be revealed to us. To me, it makes perfect sense that the physical makeup of a spirit would consist of some form of water. Um, but, you know, that would require, that would require people to be able to suspend their disbelief for a moment and go look into it. Because, you know, you're, we're not just, you know, pulling stuff out of the air. I mean, it's, it's talked about water is talked about all over the scriptures in all these miraculous ways. So why is it so out of the realm of possibility that that's part of our physical makeup when we're yeah. resurrected? It's literally the very thing that comes out from the throne of God in mm -hmm. the New Jerusalem yep. and, and re refreshes the water courses of the whole world. Yeah. Um, so that's it's definitely something that's probably the most uh, powerful potent and um, everlasting concepts in, in the creation that was made. Yeah. Um, as far as the way it can change forms and substances be resupplied, it, it's essential to the entire ecological system. Um, and it seems to be, uh, there is waters already in heaven. There were from the very beginning and there will be in the future in the kingdom of heaven that comes down from heaven to the earth, uh, connecting in some sense, the, the waters literally from the throne of the, underneath the throne of the father, to the, to the ground that we live on down here. Right. So that seems like a very important concept. Um, but this idea in, in, in this little passage here is that we're, it's talking about how at the resurrection, at our judgment, we'll be, we'll be able to shine and dart about as sparks through stubble because that's, you know, as you, that's what we see a descriptor of angelic uh, capabilities, if you will. Right. Uh -huh. Ministering flames of fire. Right. So it's interesting. Um, very interesting. But let's go on real quick. Uh, 11 through 14, it says, For those who despise wisdom and instruction are doomed. Vain is their hope. Fruitless are their labors and worthless their works. Their wives are foolish and their children wicked, accursed their brood. Now, I want to point out here, guys, we're not saying that this isn't Calvinism. We're not saying that um, you're born into uh, con condemnation just because your parents were wicked. Right. We have to remember uh, Ezekiel 18. This is talking about the fruits of their labors so those who follow in a labor you become the fruit of that labor and if you're laboring what you're laboring in is wickedness then you become a child of wickedness so if your community is teaching you wickedness and you don't repent like abraham did so abraham repent abraham was raised in wickedness his father was high priest of babylon yeah he was raised in wickedness 
but he repented and came out to follow Yahweh. So therefore he was no longer the fruit of wickedness, doing like manner in the same behavior. He, re he repented and started following Yahweh and started doing Yahweh's. So therefore became a child of God. Does that make sense? So this isn't saying your physical progeny and offspring birthed from the womb is somehow inherently wicked because your parents are wicked. This is just talking about the fruit of the labors. Okay, so you can always repent and do different labors. So it goes on to say, yes, blessed is she who childless and undefiled never knew transgression of the marriage bed, for she shall bear fruit at the judgment of souls. So also the eunuch, the eunuch, excuse me, the eunuch, um, <laughs> whose hand also wrought no misdeed, who held no wicked thoughts against the Lord, for he shall be given fidelity's choice reward and a more gratifying heritage in the Lord's temple. Now, we also see this referenced in Matthew 19, where Yahweh's talking about those who make themselves eunuch for the sake of uh, the kingdom. Yeah. And so this is why it's my my speculation that this is actually, um, well, I'm not going there. Let's just, let's just <laughs> keep going. 15 through 19, for the fruit of noble struggles is a glorious one, and unfailing is the root of understanding. But the children of adulterers will remain without issue, and the progeny of unlawful bed will disappear. For should they attain long life, they will be held in no esteem, and dishonored will their old age be in the end. Should they die abruptly, they will have no hope or no comfort in the day of scrutiny, for dire is the end of the wicked generation. So again, it, it's not saying you can't repent. It's talking the unlawful bed are the temples to Zeus and Baal. They literally were doing sexual things there, committing adulteries, um, and children were birthed from that. But that doesn't mean those children are doomed to death. It's just literally talking about the ways that are being expressed. So this is, um, it's kind of speaking in allegorical fashion about this, the, the ways of a wicked generation, right? Not just simply, oh, if you're, you know, if you're born because someone had an adultery, suddenly you're cursed. That's not the, that's not the idea. No, it's similar to how, um, all of the descendants of Israel are referred to as the children of Israel, but plenty of them went astray over time, even though right. they're so when they went astray, they were no longer children of the father, That's children right. of Israel. They became children of the evil one. That's right. So it's not a literal um, lineage thing. Right. It's about who you're following, what, what ways you're following. And many of the unlawful kings of ancient Israel that were born to righteous kings, mm -hmm. um, as we see in, in first and second Kings, they did die abruptly without honor. Right. Because somebody somebody came in and took them over. You right. know, it's you know, it's the uh what's that what's that show called? It's Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. Game of Thrones mentality, right? Yeah. Where it's like, all right, who's gonna come kill you and replace you? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's uh all right. So chapter four, one through three. Better is childlessness with virtue, for immortal is the memory of virtue, acknowledged both by God and human beings. When it is present, people Im imitate it, and they long for it when it's gone. Forever it marches crowned in triumph, victorious and unsullied deeds of valor. But the numerous progeny of the wicked shall be no avail. Their spurious offshoots shall not strike deep root nor take firm hold. For even though their branches flourish for a time, they're unsteady and shall be rocked by the wind and by the violence of the winds uprooted. Their twigs shall be broken off untimely, their fruit useless, unripe for eating, and fit for nothing. For children born of lawless unions give evidence of the wickedness of their parents when they are examined. But the righteous one, though he dies early, shall be at rest. And guys, just as uh, we've said this many, 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 many times in our in our uh, teachings over the years, but 
we just want to remind folks that when it talks about being at rest in Sheol, it's not you're not physically just asleep all the time. It's a place of rest where you're not laboring in this life and the toils of this life, but you're physically your soul's at rest. Like I said, there's even Yeshua shows us in a parable in Luke 16 that there is some sort of uh, conscious interaction down there. People know where they are. They know what they're waiting for. Same thing with Revelation 6, where the souls under the altar are asking for when the blood avenger is going to avenge their unrighteous murders. So we, we see that there is a place of rest where people know what's happening. They know when judgment is coming. They know that they're either in the good or the bad side of Sheol and what, what good or bad judgment they're going to be receiving. So it's a, it's not just a place where you sleep the whole time. Right. Okay. For the age that's honorable comes not with the passing of time, nor can it be measured in the terms of years. Rather, understanding passes for gray hair, and an unsullied life is the attainment of old age. The one who pleased God, who was loved, living among sinners. Now, this, this is actually going to take an interesting turn real quick. Okay, I think this is verse 10 or 11. The one who pleased God was loved, living among sinners, was transported, snatched away, lest wickedness pervert his mind or deceit beguile his soul. What do you think of someone? Uh, well, I don't know. You'll have okay. to tell me. <laughs> so it goes on to say, For the witchery of paltry things obscures what is right, and the whirl of desire transforms the innocent mind. Having become perfect in a short while, he reached the fullness of a long career, for his soul was pleasing to Yahweh. Therefore he pet him out of the midst of wickedness. But the people saw and did not understand, nor did they take that consideration into account. Kind of reminds me of Lot, but I mean, I, it seems to be saying that even if you die at a young age, it's not something to necessarily be sorrowful about because if you lived a righteous life, right, you know, you have less of a chance of it's falling definitely... off that path yeah. if you're living longer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see that. But I mean, that's so it's using it's using the life of a specific person to draw the point that you just said of saying okay. that, okay, well, someone that that having reached perfection in a short time was taken away from the wicked so that, you know, uh, he could be uh, out of the midst of wickedness, right? They could, yeah. he could be taken away, transported, snatched away, lest the wickedness pervert his mind or just he beguile his soul. All the commentary on this and um, the, the cross referencing of scripture is they believe it's talking about Enoch. Oh, well that would make more sense than lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it does pretty interesting. Interesting. Um, so that was verse 14. So we go to verse 15. Yes, the righteous one who has died. And well, I guess I should probably back up real quick. So just in case you're not aware, only in Jubilees, chapter 7, does it talk about, or chapter 4, does it talk about Enoch becoming perfect, being found as perfect. And it means complete. It doesn't mean he was without sin. It just means he was complete in his actions towards Yahweh and his discipleship. He had attained an actual very strong, faithful, righteous, complete walk. And in that, it you know, he qualified to become the scribe of righteousness who would write condemnation down towards all the rebellious watchers, Nephilim, and men, uh, which led to their judgment. So he was the one that was basically documenting their unrighteousness to be the valid testimony the father needed for the judge of the flood to happen through that judgment. So um, this is very very interesting where it's talking about using him as a comparison for if a, die, if a person who is righteous dies early, well, you're, it's, you know, it's okay. Cause it doesn't mean you got swept away into unrighteousness at the end of your life. Like Solomon. Yeah. Right. Or 
this whole thing goes against once saved, always saved. Oh yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can, you have to be faithful. That's what that word complete means in the Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, referencing Enoch as an example that you have to be faithful until the end. You got to be complete. That's what that word perfect is. Perfect is, it has a different connotation in English, but the way it's being used in the Hebrew and the Greek, it means you're complete until the end. You're faithful in your behaviors of discipleship to Yahweh until the end. No matter the persecution, no matter life's trials, no matter life's disappointments or whatnot, you're faithful till the end. And that's uh, Enoch was a good example of that. Abraham was a good example of that. Yeah. Obviously, Yeshua is the perfect ultimate example of that. But there's other righteous men in Scripture who are a great example of that as well. So in verse 15 of chapter 4, it says, Yes, the righteous one who has died will condemn the sinful who live. And youth, swiftly completed, will condemn the many years of the unrighteous who have grown old. For they will see the death of the wise one and will not understand what the Lord intended or why he kept him safe. They will see and hold him in contempt, but the Lord will laugh them to scorn. Just another, like just like chapter three, another allusion to the idea that uh, the the wicked don't understand. They think if someone dies early, that it's that this life is all there is, and you, you're you know you must misfortune has come upon you, yeah, because you died early. But yet it's the Lord who's holding them safe, and He's got <laughs> eternal life waiting on them. Whereas the wicked doesn't have eternal life waiting on him and this life is all he's got. Yeah. And he doesn't realize yeah. that, you know what I mean? 18 through 19 says, and they shall afterward become dishonored corpses and an unceasing mockery among the dead, for he shall strike them down speechless and prostrate and rock them to their foundations. They shall be utterly laid waste and shall be in grief and their memory shall perish. Fearful shall they come at the counting up of their sins and their lawless deeds shall convict them to their face. You know, it's interesting because the dispensation idea, the once saved, always saved, you know, people who teach things like that, they'll look at a Christian and say, oh, you know, it doesn't matter if you sin, you don't have to follow these commandments, you're, once you're saved, you're always saved. But then they'll turn around and they'll be okay with a verse like this that says the wicked are going to be repaid for their deeds. Right. But not you know, the righteous. Apparently, they don't. It doesn't compute with them that they totally believe that wicked people are going to be judged on their deeds, right? And their their works of evil in this world. But then they turn around and are like, "Oh no, we're there, there's going to be no accounting of our works on you know on that side of the resurrection because it's all it's all moot once you come to Christ." Yet, <laughs> meanwhile, Yeshua himself tells us that we're storing up treasures in heaven. Yep. And that uh, we'll be judged for every idle word and deed, yep. and that um, all of our all of us will give an account of ourselves to Christ, and that judgment begins with the house of God. Right. <laughs> and he tells us to store up treasures in heaven. I said that. So yeah. how do we do that? <laughs> if yeah. What we do doesn't matter. Right. And yeah, and let your light shine so so men may see your good works yeah. and glorify your Father yeah. in heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a really strange kind of uh, double speak that uh -huh. we hear in a lot of these churches um, talking about these concepts. So, so it goes on to say in um, chapter five, then shall the righteous one with great assurance confront his oppressors who set at naught his labors. Seeing this, the wicked shall be shaken with dreadful fear and, the, and be amazed at the unexpected salvation. They shall say among themselves, rueful and groaning through anguish of spirit, this is the one whom once we held as a laughingstock and as a type of mockery, fools that we were. Yeah. So this is a fascinating little passage here. 
Um, because it says the righteous one with great assurance confront his oppressors who set at not his labors. So it, it sounds kind of like a messianic inference here as far as the righteous one confronting, because the average person is not going to confront your oppressors. But right. we see in Leviticus, I think it's a Leviticus uh, 7, 11 or 11, 7, talking about how Yahweh will judge each person to their face. And we see how he does that. He gives that judgment to his son. Right. His son was the one that came to earth and was oppressed by the wicked. Yeah. Who thought his, his labors were nothing. His miracles were nothing. Remember yeah. when Jesus said, well, if you don't believe in me, at least believe in the miracles I'm doing. Right. And they were like, nah, nah, don't, we don't, we don't care who you are. And they oppressed him, but they will see him just as he told, um, what's his name? Um, uh, the high priest Caiaphas, he says, you'll see me coming on the, on the angel, on the clouds of heaven with the ant, with the, on the day of the Lord. So yeah, it's interesting at this point, they're going to realize, oh my goodness, this is the one whom we once held as a laughing stock and as a type of mockery. This is also, I think in the, um, oh man, I want to say the Septuagint, um, of, I can't remember, put it in the live chat. If anyone remembers the verse, um, because I mentioned it in a few, a few, it's like a, it's like a verse that's been removed, um, but I want to say it's in either Ezra's or one of the Ezra's, and it, it's no longer in the Bible. It's not in the Masoretic for sure, but it's a, it's a passage about um, they will make him a laughing, a laughing. Oh no, 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 it was a quote. It's a quote from I think uh, Justin Martyr saying that this verse is no longer in the Scriptures. How they'll make him a laughing stock, and he, and he attributes this this statement to Ezra. And he says they'll make him a laughing stock and put him and raise him up on a standard as a laughing stock, but he's the actual Passover. And so, um, anyway, just I'm sorry, I don't have that quote available, so I'm kind of butchering it. But so yeah, this is the same sentiment there, the same idea. They're gonna they're gonna mock the righteous, the ultimate righteous one, Yeshua, but also righteous people in general. Um, but Yeshua is the only one that's actually gonna see them face to face and judge them on their words and deeds. Right. So it makes me think of a messianic inference here. Chapter five, verse four through seven says his life was accounted madness and we, death dishonored. His life, excuse me, accounted. his his life we accounted madness and death dishonored. See how he is accounted among the heavenly beings and how his lot is with the holy ones. We then have strayed from the way of truth and the light of righteousness did not shine for us and the light and the sun did not rise for us. We were entangled in the thorns of mischief and of ruin. We journeyed through trackless deserts, but the way of the Lord we never knew. We, what did our pride avail us? What have wealth and its boastfulness afforded us? All of them passed like a shadow and like a fleeting rumor, like a ship traversing the heavy water, the heaving water. When it has passed, no trace can be found, no path of its keel in the waves. Or like a bird flying through the air, no evidence of its course is to be found, but the fluid air lashed by the beating of pinions and cleft by the rushing force of speeding wings is traversed, and afterward no mark of passage can be found in it. Or as when an arrow has been shot at a mark, the parted air straightway flows together again so that none discerns the way it went. Even so, once born, we abruptly come to nothing and held no sign of virtue to display, but we were consumed in our wickedness. Yes, the hope of the wicked is like the chaff borne by the wind and like fine storm-driven snow, like smoke scattered by the wind and like the passing memory of the nomad camping for a single day. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Like chaff thrown to the fire, like Isaiah 33 yeah. talks about. 
or like Yeshua talked about, I think it's in Luke chapter seven, talking about the wicked being like uh, the grass that's burned up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Verse 15 through 20 says, but the righteous live forever. And in Yahweh is their recompense. The thought of them is with the most high. Therefore shall they receive the splendid crown, the beautiful diadem from the hand of Yahweh. For he will shelter them with his right hand and protect them with his arm. He shall take his zeal for armor and arm creation to requite the enemy. I love that part. He uses the creation on the day of the Lord, guys, to do battle. He shall put on righteousness for a breastplate. He shall wear sure judgment for a helmet. He shall take invincible holiness for a shield and shall and sharpen his sudden anger for a sword. The universe will war with him against the foolhardy. It's interesting because I've heard a lot of mo modern mainstream pastors talk about Paul and him talking about the, the, um, why is the phrase failing me? Putting on the armor every day. Ephesians 6. The and they always want to compare it to Greek, right? Uh, Greek and Roman war outfits. And I'm like, first of all, they clearly haven't read the Old Testament and read about the high priest. But then also, it's interesting because it seems like he might have been pulling some of that imagery from the wisdom of Solomon here. Could be. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So it's just funny to <laughs> try and explain it through. Oh, yeah. He would have understood that because of what the Romans wore when really there were already some pretty clear Im images for us in the actual book with the he Israelites and what they were wearing. It's true. It's a good point, sweetie. So the last three verses. Well-aimed bolts of lightning will go forth and from the clouds will leap to the mark as from a well-drawn bow. And as from a sling, wrathful hailstones shall be hurled. So this again is talking about the, the when the creation is fighting with them and all of the universe will wage war against the wicked. Right. This is the dreaded, fearful day of the Lord that's being talked about. And then the waters of the sea will be enraged and flooding rivers will overwhelm them. A mighty wind will confront them and winnowing them like a tempest. This is, I'm going to go over some verses in a minute that, that parallel all this stuff. Therefore, lawlessness will lay waste the whole earth and over in evil doing overturn the thrones of the mighty. So this is amazing. Just in case you don't think lawlessness matters, <laughs> it's going to bring the amazing judgment, just like it brought the judgment of the flood that overturns the whole earth. It's also going to bring the amazing day of the Lord judgment. Um, wherein he uses the creation just like he did in the day of the flood right. to battle against the wicked and destroy them, which I think is interesting because it's like, it's like saying like um, for a modern analogy, if you create a video game and you had um, like the bad guys in your video game, you, you try to use AI to create your video game for the characters to be smarter and to interact better in the storyline. But the AI that you used for the bad guys decided they wanted to rebel against the, the actual point of the video game. And as a result, you have, they're overcoming the, the good characters in the game and not following the script of the video game. So you just program everything and all the whole fabric and construct of the video game itself to destroy the bad AI of the bad characters. That's a little bit of a nuanced, um, highbrow technical technical analogy but that's exactly what we're reading about the day of the lord um when it's talking about he's going to use the creation itself right. against the evil and then we see this all over the place we see this like so in these passages here where it says um um 
The universe will war against him, the foolhardy. Well-aimed bolts of lightning will go forth and from the clouds will leap to the mark as from a well-drawn bow. So we're going to, I mean, this is like, should be super easy, right? That he could use lightning anytime he wants to destroy the wicked. But he's saying these aren't going to be random strikes of lightning. Yeah. Like these are, we're going to go forth from the clouds that leap to the mark as from a well-drawn bow, meaning there's all kinds of intentionality, right? So we see the pagan world draw allusions to Zeus as the lightning, the lightning thrower, right? But that's just, that's just him playing God, right? Right. The true creator is on the day of the Lord, when he comes back to judge Zeus is going to be throwing lightning and showing everyone, Hey, this guy's not the actual lightning thrower. Yeah, I am. Yeah, (laughs) And I, and I truly have the power to use all of the creation and he's going to be striking who knows how many people. And to me, this also makes me think of, um, um, just, I mean, I mean, I just can't even imagine like the people getting exploded with getting hit with lightning on the day of the Lord. But it reminds me of the horse drawing up to the blood, the, the bridle of the, the blood drawn up to the bridle of the horse. Right. So, because if you've got just massive lightning strikes happening on, on massive, massive uh, enemies that have gathered together inside of the land of Israel to fight Yeshua's return, you know, like if you strike the ground with lightning, many times it has a radius that spreads out and can kill yeah. multiple cattle yeah. from one strike. You know what I'm saying? Because it goes through the ground, it burns up through them from the inside out. And so it just makes me think of like just the amount of quick quickness with which he was he's going to overcome these these armies and that's in addition to the angels that are that are flying around through this like this is going to be a crazy scene um the waters of the sea or excuse me the the hellstones that are being hurled that's talked about in uh job chapter job chapter 38 i think it's verse 20 to 22 where it talks about have you seen this the storehouses in heaven of the hellstones for the day of the lord so this has been planned for a long time, yeah. right? He knows what's going to happen. He knows that th- there's going to get to a point where the enemies will coalesce and try to fight him. And there's going to be a moment where he'll just have his angels pick up hailstones and throw them to the earth. We see that in Revelation. One of the plagues is these massive, large hailstones come down and people still don't repent of their idolatry. Um, so, and then of course the tempest, we see this in second Ezra chapter 13. Uh, as Yeshua is returning, there's like a fiery tempest, uh, hell, uh, like a crazy whirlwind going before him as well. So imagine a, a you know like a hurricane-like force of winds full of fire and lightning and hellstones, plus angels running around slicing you up. Like just there is no there is no chance for the bad guys on this day of the Lord. Like they're just going to be absolutely um, demolished in every way. So this is a this is a wild concept that it's uh, trying to repeat here, as it kind of crescendos into this idea of not only not only do the wicked have a lost mentality of thinking that the righteous are dumb or stupid. They're, they're going to get what they deserve. They deserve to die early. They uh, they're in whatever death they receive, they're not going to be reincarnated or they're not going to be, um, or they're going to be reincarnated to, to a lower caste system. If they're in that mindset or, or they deserve, if hell is real, Christians deserve to go to it. Mm-hmm. I've heard atheists say that um, because they believe in a God uh, that would kill people unjustly. <laughs> or just disagree with them. So it, so chapters three and four and five draw to a point juxtaposing the mindset of, the, of someone that's in great deception, right? That's practicing wickedness. They don't understand what they're looking at when they see the righteous. They mock them. 
they deride them. They wish ill of them. They, they don't want them to exist forever. They want them to be snuffed out early. But the, but the father keeps trying to remind the righteous, hey, you're on the right path. You're doing the right thing. And if you happen to be someone that dies early for whatever reason, you can almost take that in a weird, a weird sense of relief because you, you avoided later temptations in the rest of your life, if you could, if I could put it like that. Um, but at the same time, many righteous people do live a long life and there's great benefits and joy that come from that at the same time. So then he tries to like cap it all off by reminding folks, Oh, by the way, the father's got a plan for the wicked and those who control the wicked and bring them into deception. Those who are the parents of the children of the wicked, right? That teach wicked behavior. Because as we were talked about at the beginning of this, we're not just talking about literally people birthing children. And then that child is doomed to a life of wickedness and then destruction of judgment because everyone can repent. The father can get to anybody. He's definitely proved that to me in my life. And so the, the father is just trying to encourage us, in my opinion, with these scriptures that he does understand the mindset of the wicked. He does realize in their internal persecution against you, both in their thoughts or their heart, as well as whatever outward actions they may try to either litigate through legislation or through warfare, try to oppress the righteous. He knows what they're doing. He knows their end. And he was going to remind you that your end is better than theirs. And by the way, he's going to fight for the righteous and destroy the wicked when he actually brings his kingdom back. So, but he even in the middle of that, in my opinion, there is a messianic reference and he's acknowledging that even his son is going to be um, oppressed by these people. So it's like, you're, you're in good company. If I could put it like that, like Yeshua said, if they persecute the master, they're definitely going to persecute the disciples. Yeah. Right. So he's trying to let you know, you're, you're basically he, the father is, is a very mature, if I could put it like this, parent. He's not that parent that tries to shelter you from evil and harm or experiencing pain and loss. He's the one that's telling you, hey, pain and loss are out there. Try to avoid it. Don't go those roads. Walk in my ways. But sometimes, because you live in a fallen world, pain and loss will happen. Endure to the end. Do not give up. I will reward you with the with crowns, like it says, with the diadems of righteousness, because you endured unto death. And he understands how this broken world is working right now. And he gives he doesn't try to cherry coat it. He doesn't play favorites by by just um, pulling everybody, all the people that want to be righteous away from the wicked and, and putting them in some kind of commune. He doesn't play favorites. He's just simply saying, look, I know it's a, it's a crazy world out there because no one's doing my ways. If everyone just did my ways, it'd be a wonderful, peaceful world. But instead, there's a bunch of people that decide not to do my ways. They're causing a lot of problems. You're living amongst it. I know you are. I know their thoughts of how they, they want to treat you. At the same time, I want you to be better than that. Endure to the end, just like my son exemplified. I didn't even protect or give better circumstances to my son. He had to endure the unrighteous scorn of wicked people. He had to endure a more gruesome death than 99.9% of any of us will ever experience. And he was faithful to the end. So therefore be like him. And at the end of this, I'm going to take all the wicked out in the most crazy cinematic way you've ever seen in your life. And my son will judge all these people and you will be given a place of rest in the eternal kingdom. It's going to be amazing. That That's actually, we're not reading chapter six and seven, but it goes on in chapter six to talk about the kingdom. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I didn't want to, we're already 
coming up close to an hour. So I wanted to kind of, I wanted to kind of keep it at just three chapters, but um, it's just so much encouragement, guys. The father knows what you're going through. He knows what this life is like. He, 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 none of these details escape his view and escape his understanding. And in spite of all that, his son exemplified that, that his, the, the son was willing to go through this life like us in order to redeem and save us. This is what I believe Hebrews 5 is talking about, why the priest is chosen from amongst his brethren, because he can sympathize with their weaknesses. He understands what we go through. He went through worse circumstances than most of us will ever experience. And he still chooses to love us in the authority of his father and to be a priest for us so that we can he can atone for us to the father and raise us to eternal life on the day that he comes back to destroy the wicked. It's a beautiful promise. It's a beautiful mindset, a very mature mindset to understand the father knows what your life is like. He knows your ups and downs, your highs and lows. And he wants to encourage you throughout, no matter what circumstances have brought you, endure to the end. Keep being faithful. Do not give up. Just like his son didn't give up. Because there's, at the end of the story, I mean, all pun intended, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Right? At the end of the story is the light of life, which is immortality, which is the light of the kingdom that doesn't have sun or moon inside. It's illuminated with the light of God, the power of God, the Holy Spirit. So I just want to encourage you guys. Any thoughts? Uh, just also, this is why we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear the one who can kill just the body because I think for most of us, the real struggle is fear, fearing the death of our loved ones not necessarily our own death. So it's also <clears throat> important to find comfort in this for those who have passed and were believers. Um, I can say that when my Nana Betsy died, um, is it has it been two years already? When she passed away, um, I was sad in the sense that I wanted to have more time with her in a selfish way on this earth. But I also felt a great sense of peace because I know for certain that it's not the end for her and I'm going to get to spend eternity with her. And all the time I feel I lost throughout most of my life being a rebellious unbeliever who didn't understand her and didn't want to spend time with her, I'll, I'll have eternity to make up for all of that time. <clears throat> so also with my brother, um, he had his struggles but he had a childlike faith in Jesus that um, started when he was actually like three or four years old and that never left him. I ended up um, coming across some of his journals when we cleaned up his belongings and was reading through them. And, you know, he was talking about these things, things of faith, you know, um, things that Paul said in the Bible. And um, he he could have used with some more discipleship and some more study with us with the word. And unfortunately we didn't have time for all that, but he had that true faith in his heart all the way until the day that he passed. So I also take comfort knowing that I'm pretty sure I'm going to see him again at the resurrection. So I think for me, when I read these things, you know, I think, Oh, this is great. You know, I, I don't have to fear my own death. Whenever that time comes, it'll probably be a welcome, uh, transition at a certain point because I understand what's coming next. But then I think about all the people in my life that I love that I don't want to die before me. <laughs> and how will I handle that? Um, 
but I have lost two very close people so far and they were both believers. And I can say that there is an immense amount of comfort that comes when you know their fate um, after um, they have passed. So that's kind of what I was thinking about a lot as we were reading through these things is that, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have to fear death and I don't have to fear the death of my loved ones either. So. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful hope, guys. Um, I mean, this is, you know, in my opinion, Revelation 21 talks about wipe away every tear. Um, that's talking about people that are inside the kingdom. And I don't think those are tears of sadness. Those are tears of joy, in my opinion, because if you're seeing everyone else in the kingdom, they got they got resurrected. And, uh, and you're realizing it's all true. It's all real. It's all there. And so it's not tears of sadness that you're wiping away, tears of regret, but it's tears of joy. You know, you're realizing just judgment and yeah. the beauty that comes with that, right? This, the assurity that comes with that. Because if the, if the heavenly father wasn't just in judging between righteous behaviors and unrighteous behaviors in our circumstances in our life, then we would have no, no backstop of reality of, of morality in our reality to ever live by. We have nothing to lean on as a sure post of life and reality. If there was no actual promise that the creator himself can distinguish between good and bad. So this is why um, so much psychosis develops amongst um, the doctrines of the occult, because it encourages duplicitous mind that there is no moral standard. Yeah. And our brains weren't built for that. We weren't created uh, for not having a moral standard to rest on, to, to, to be sure on. So the creator gives us a, a strong, definitive moral standard to be sure on. We know exactly how he feels about right and wrong, how he deems which actions right and wrong. And he, we know that he's going to use his son because his son is the perfect reflection of him, doesn't says what his father says, and his son has the wisdom of his father in fullness. So his son has been trusted to apply that wisdom and judgment to, to discern every person's life and to know their circumstances, why they made bad decisions, why they made good decisions. He's going to judge every idle word and deed faithfully and justly. And that we can be sure that, you know, he's going to, it's not going to be something that, oh, will he, will he just be angry in that moment? And then, you know, my, my grandmother won't get in, you know, or won't be resurrected. No, no. He is a righteous judge that's not persuaded by bribery or emotional instability. He's not persuaded by politics. He's a righteous standard that he's already outlined for us that we can rest sure on. And this is what I hope brings comfort to you when you when you start to think about just how will the wicked get what they deserve? Will the righteous get what they deserve? Right. What can we actually hope is, is having a real place that we can hope to exist forever in? And once we're there, the people that we're going to be around, what's that going to be like? Yeah. You know, will the father bring in a whole bunch of people that um, didn't want to be there and were wicked and caused problems? No, not at all. He's going, to, he's going to bring in people that have his law on their heart, which produces love. That's that's the amazing part, yeah. right? And all the benefits of love, loving behavior in a community. So I just want people to be uh, encouraged, if you will, because this life is 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 not always uh, the, the circumstances of our cultures in these different countries on, on the plane of the earth is not the kingdom of heaven. So there's instability down here, but with his kingdom, there's stability. But we're not in his kingdom yet. We're disciples of his kingdom, still scattered, waiting at the resurrection to be drawn to his kingdom. 
and all gathered together in the land of promise. But right now, while we're scattered amongst the nations, the idea is that we live amongst instability, amongst unrighteous, unclean spirits, rebellious angels, and wicked men who are trying to do what's good for them and not what's always good for us. So in the midst of that, we do suffer loss early sometimes. And I just want to encourage folks, no matter what may come in the future, just remember that stay faithful until the end. Be that light on the earth now. Reach those who need it now. If you hole up and you remove yourself from society completely, how are people going to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven? How are you going to go out and make disciples of the nations? Right. So we just want to encourage you guys, be strong, be courageous. Don't turn from his word. And hopefully this is a blessing to you today. If you have any questions, put them in all capitalization so we and the moderators can also see them. And we'll take your questions if you have any. Yeah, bloom where you're planted because he scattered us like wildflower seeds out into the world. And I think there's a lot of, there's a, a huge tendency for people, especially in the Torah crowd, to desire their own commune somewhere where they're closed off from the rest of society and just living with other believers. And I'm not saying that I don't have some of that little bit of fantasy in my mind as well and how much easier life might be if, if that were, you know, the case where we lived, but at the same time, he scattered us for a reason and we're not supposed to put our, our light under a bushel, you know, we're supposed to shine before men, you know, and how can we make disciples of the nations if we're running and hiding from them? So bloom where he plants you guys. Okay. So first question, guys, uh, Shooty Mac is asking based on scripture is suicide or accidental death of drug overdose guaranteed trip to lake of fire. Uh, we get these questions a lot. Uh, Shooty, I think that's, I think you're a sister in the faith. I, I apologize. You can tell us in, in the comments, male or female, but we get this question often, uh, sister, and we're not the judge. We're not Yeshua. Okay. That's the first and foremost thing you should remember. We don't, we don't just, uh, based on someone's final outcome or what their, what, whatever final action is supposed of them. Um, we don't, uh, we don't judge them on that alone. And I don't think the Messiah does either. Um, but ultimately I'm not his judge. I'm not the judge that Messiah is. And so you're going to have to hopefully be okay with understanding that you just lean on the, on the fact that Yeshua is a merciful judge. Like I just tried to explain who knows the circumstances of a person's life and the deceptions they're involved in. Um, people, people make, make a, again, this life is not the only thing there is. So it's, it's not the final, the final outcome, but people make a huge deal about a suicide because they think, They've been told that you can't repent, that you've that you've murdered yourself and you can't repent. So therefore, um, but I thought I thought the same people who teach that teach one same but we say. <laughs> I promise you, I've heard it. I've heard it. It's in Baptist churches, and uh, so I just it blows my mind the the, the duplicitous of of the thought process. But um, but ultimately, people make such a big deal about suicide specifically because they think, oh, it's your final action and you can't do anything after this because you've left this life, so you can't possibly repent. But I just want to remind you guys that he judges every deed. All your deeds will be brought to account, not just the final one. And whatever just you know, uh, deception brought you to that final act, if I could put it like that. So in the same way, 
some people have committed suicide. Did you guys know that when in AD 70, when the Romans invaded Jerusalem and they were slaughtering about 500,000 people in the region, 1,000, approximately 1,000 of the people of the region of Jerusalem at that time hold themselves up in some kind of tower. I can't remember the name of the tower. And they were there for several days. And they, a thousand of them, to my to my memory of this of this account, a thousand of them all killed themselves to avoid the Romans burning them out of the tower from the base up. These are people that were being oppressed and persecuted. Were they were believers amongst them? I don't know. Judge the judge will determine that. And so their their idea of how they were deceived into that to be their only recourse, um, based on unclean spirits motivating the men to, to try to burn them out and kill them. So it was either they exited the tower and were ran through with the sword by the Roman soldiers, or they stayed in the tower and got more than likely smoke inhalation death before they actually got burned out from the flames themselves. So this is all I'm saying is and all that's motivated by the wicked emperor who's literally possessed by demons. And so I'm, I'm just saying like, we don't know the circumstances by which someone creates a final act. We rest on the fact that Jesus is the judge of these things. He's judging someone, every, every person's every deed and all of it's taken into account. And we rest on the fact that he, he judges from a position of mercy. So I just want to try to encourage you. I would just also mention that typically the state of a person's heart who is committing suicide or accidentally overdosing, typically that is coming from a place of despair and oppression and not malice, like someone who wants to go murder another right. person for it's selfish a, reasons. It's a, it's a really horrific cry for help. Yeah. Um, Which is why people that do not uh, successfully commit suicide then get therapy and get help. And they say it was, I didn't know what else to do. It was a cry for help. Right. So I would just also consider that the father is going to be looking at the state of the heart and the intent of a person uh, when they commit an act like that, because I, I see it as completely different than a malice murder. Right. Yeah. It's different. Uh, Elisha E seven is asking, how do I study the scriptures? Um, I know what to do to feel engaged. I know what to do to feel engaged, but just don't have a highlighter. Um, man, you just got to read like, just like anything you've been interested in, right? If you, if you liked, uh, I don't know, skateboarding, you read magazines about skateboarding, you learn about the trucks, the boards, the brands, the, the different things involved, you know, the bearings, like, um, you, you just take time to get familiar with the text and with the, the component pieces in the text. So, um, start with Genesis, just, just start reading, man, just start reading and getting familiar with it. I know it, at the beginning, it sounds kind of odd because you it's you have to get familiar with reading the text and what it's talking about get a make sure you got the internet at your fingertips or a concordance so you can start looking up words so i i would encourage using a free biblical resource online like uh, bible gateway esword uh, bible hub that way you can actually click on the words in their hebrew or the greek language and look up the words and what they mean so when you get across a passage you don't understand you can start trying to look them up and get some better clarity and, um, but you've just, you've, it's not like a, you know, I'm not, I don't know you, I don't know you, right? So I don't know if you're super intelligent or average intelligence, right? I'm not sure. But even if you're super intelligent, you will not get this just in one reading. That does not how, that's not how God's Bible works. It's, it's amazing thing that takes 
more than one reading as you start to really grasp what's being said and you just got to spend time with it. So that's really the answer is how do you study scripture? You got to spend time with it. You got to put in your time, just like any hobby that you desire to be a master at, what whatever it is in your life, whatever you're interested in, you spend time learning the details about that hobby or about that craft or that trade. Um, so in the same way, you know, you have to spend time learning the details of the scriptures. Yeah. And I would say start in the front of the book and read front to back and read book by book by book. Don't think about, I need to finish reading it in a year. Let me go find one of these reading plans that shows me little snippets to read every day. And then I'll have read it all in the year. Just set some, some time aside each day, 15 to 20 minutes at the beginning of the day or the end of your day, sipping on some tea or some coffee and read a few chapters and go in order and just start reading. And always, I always, of course, would encourage people to pray for um, understanding and knowledge before you read, because the Father really does answer that prayer. And just don't look at it so much like you need to study, just sit down and read it, because that's ultimately how you're studying it. You're, you're reading it, you're getting the information in your mind, you're absorbing it. Um, and over time, especially if you're watching channels like ours and watching this, the actual structured studies that Sean does for us, um, you'll start to see things as you're reading each day that may not have made sense last year, but they make sense this year. And then next year you'll see something and be like, oh, that makes a whole lot of sense now. So I would just focus on not pressuring yourself to understand everything all at once. And, oh, let me just cram all this information in my head as quickly as I can. Jesus' sheep is asking, can you tell me where I can find a reliable calendar to follow the Feast of Torah? Love, watching streams from overseas, much love. Okay, awesome. Um, Hanging on His Words has produced one recently, um, and I believe, I don't know exactly. Um, I would research Hanging on His Words calendar, both on YouTube, the YouTube channel, as well as his Patreon, because um, I don't know if he has it available for everyone in digital format on his Patreon, or if it's just for paid patrons, but um, because it took him some time to put this together. But hanging on his words is what I would suggest uh, researching because it's the calendar that we go off of. All right. So it looks like uh, Barbara Claudio, you it looks like your question got cut off. So if you want to go ahead and ask that again, I'll try to get to it. Um, I don't, I don't, yeah, it looks like your question got cut off. I don't know what you're saying there. Earlier, I saw a comment asking if I could drop some water documentaries. So I'm okay. going to go ahead and. All right. Um, Samzi yeah. is asking, is smoking weed sometimes a sin? Um, I would say losing your sobriety is a sin um, as far as because we're called to, to be clear minded and sober so that we may pray. Um, if you're not being able to function at your job and do, which is, you know, what God instructs us to do as a. Uh, to, I don't, Samzi, I'm not, I'm sure if, I'm not sure if you're a man or a woman, but, um, but ultimately to, to be productive in your life, right? So just like with alcohol, it's not a sin to drink alcohol, but the moment it takes your sobriety and causes you to transgress the Torah in some way, then it becomes a problem for you. But, uh, in the same way, if we, you know, if it causes you to transgress the Torah and, and interrupts your life and how to be productive and loving others, it's become a problem. And I would, it, it then it becomes an issue, right? 
All right, I dropped a couple water documentaries into the um, chat. You can also look up a guy named Victor Schoberger, and I'll put his name in there too. Okay, uh, Norman's asking, where's paradise? Not sure you mentioned it, and I missed it. Now, the paradise that's mentioned in Scripture as far as um, Revelation and Second Second Corinthians, that is, and also in the, the book of uh, Second Baruch or the Apocalypse of Baruch, um, and as well as Jesus on the cross, that's the mention of the New Jerusalem. So after you're resurrected from Sheol and taken to the New Jerusalem, Sheol is the place where your soul goes to wait for resurrection. That idiomatically in the ancient Israelite culture was referred to as Abraham's bosom, as Jesus does in Luke chapter 16. But that is not paradise. That's a, a waiting, a place of waiting and rest until you get to paradise, which is the new Jerusalem or Zion, the kingdom of heaven that comes down out of heaven. So currently it's still in heaven waiting to descend after the day of the Lord. Stonewall is asking, how do you have the faith to believe? Um, I uh repents um, but i asked it i asked you know for faith i mean that sounds kind of silly but i asked christ to help me believe him just like the, the disciples said lord increase our faith yeah and the the man who said lord help my unbelief yeah you know for me it was a supernatural gift that was given to me by the father and so <laughs> <laughs> we found out if he's male or female. And so for me, there will never be a time in my life where I will be convinced to no longer believe, um, at least in the basics uh, of his existence and his promises, because I spent most of my life in unbelief. So when he came and revealed himself to me, that was like the end all be all you know, all those people who say, well, if he wants me to know he's real, he'll show me. Well, he showed me <laughs> and, you know, my foot was in my mouth real quick as far as uh, doubting him after that. So it's easy to continue belief in him as far as um, struggling with believing um, that he hears my prayers and he's answering them and he's got me on the right path. I mean, those are the things that um, can cause some people to eventually fall away. So when I'm feeling that way, I say, Lord, help my unbelief. You know, there's, there's a part of me that's doubting you. And I, I know you're real. I know your words are true. And so I need your help. The, the intellectual side of me understands certain things. The emotional side of me is really struggling. So I really need your help with the emotional side right now. So call out to him if you're struggling with that. All right. Um, thank you, Shudamak, for the super chat. I really appreciate that. Uh, Julie Steinbrick is asking, so after we die, do we get a tour of the ferments or is that just Enoch? Um, at the resurrection, you're going to have a body that can go throughout all the creation uh, without problem. And I don't know if they're going to be guided tours, but I'm not, you know, I'm sure at some point, uh, I'm guessing, I'm just guessing at some point, you'll, you'll have a day that you can take and go, you know, maybe go at You've made friends with an angel of some sort and you can go, you know, see where they live and heavens above and take a tour if you want. But at once you get the body for it at the resurrection, what Enoch experienced was a vision of heaven. Um, so his normal mortal body was was on the earth or was in the kingdom of, of the garden still on the earth. But then he's shown a vision of the heavens as he's taken in the spirit, just like in John chapter four, 
John's physical body was still on the island of Patmos where he was in um, like house arrest by the Romans, but having a vision, his spirit was taken around and shown things. And so it's kind of like a, hopefully that makes a difference. But the point is at the resurrection, you'll be made into a spiritual being. You're no longer. Made... Okay. All right. Um, hopefully that's a decent answer for his sister. Ivan both is asking, my wife's a non-believer. How can she be sanctified as per Corinthians first, first Corinthians seven? Uh, the word sanctified means discipleship, brother. So this is where it talks about in the context of that chapter. If the unbeliever wants to leave, uh, you have the choice to let them go. But if they want to stick around, you can disciple them. That means you teach them the basics of the faith. You teach them what it means to love God, to, to be a disciple of Christ. Uh, to to believe in the hope of the promise of the resurrection in the future and the the kingdom come for peace on the earth and every everything that we've been talking about today that's so that it, that's where I think in that passage Paul's given two choices to the believer when they're in this situation and for one is you're not just sitting there stewing in unequal unequal being unequally yoked there's there's action one way or the other right the action is the believing spouse is either going to start sanctifying, discipling the unbelieving spouse into the faith so they understand what you believe and why you believe and then have a stronger basis for which they can choose to believe with you and remain in the family. And if they reject all that, then, you know, that's where Paul says, if the unbeliever wants to go, you, you have the right to let them go. Um, but I know that's not always an easy choice and that's not always preferred. So sometimes people stick in this situation longer than they should or longer, just just waiting on the father to change their heart. Um, and I know it's a rough situation. My heart goes out to you, brother. Or just for the other side of it, some people stick around and stay faithful and hopeful and they do eventually see a change in their spouse. And the Lord does bring them to full knowledge of the truth and faith and belief. So there is hope. That, that was in my thoughts. I'm sorry if I didn't communicate that well enough. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. That was in my thoughts that there is hope that they will yeah. respond to this. Like that's the idea that you're praying for them to respond to the discipleship. Yeah, I've seen it happen. I'm in a group for unequally yoked wives yeah. and I've watched many of those wives pray for their husbands for years and, and go through times where they felt like there was no hope and now their husbands are believers. And so, yeah, there is, there is hope there. There is. That's why I said earlier in the show, God can get anybody. Yeah. No, I'm proof of that. She's proof. I mean, but if you want biblical examples, he got Nebuchadnezzar. He can, yeah. get, he can get anybody, yeah. guys. Nebuchadnezzar was king of the world at the time and, and emboldened by every unclean spirit there ever was. Um, literally, you know, emboldened by Satan himself. Like King, king Nebuchadnezzar was on top of everything. And uh, God got him. So God got the whole city of Nineveh, the whole city, yeah. Hundred, over 120,000 people yeah. plus the king. Yeah. Right. They were worshiping false gods. Um, he, he can get anybody. Don't don't worry about it. Like, I mean, just be, have faith that uh, she'll come. She'll come to faith and belief in Christ and that he'll drop the spirit in her and, and just be positive if, he, if possible. Uh, Nick, I do, brother. We I did a whole debate on this with Carlos. If you go on my live tab, 
uh, let me try to look it up real quick. I'll get you the name of it. I've, I've done several videos on this just even recently. We've done them on the past as well, but just even recently, I've done several videos on this exact question about Acts 15 and the idea that the conversation of circumcision and everything involved, the whole context of all that. I know you're asking about a specific verse, but respectfully, that's that's not how we, we execute an entire chapter, right? That's how you just get bogged down in, in a tunnel vision of, of trying to argue bad arguments, right? So I would I would encourage understanding the whole chapter and what's going on there, and that's what I try to exegete in these in these verses for these videos. Um, so here it is. It's called debate review, and uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna work. Oh, there you go. That works. So let me share this real quick. So it's called Debate Review, Carlos Xavier versus Sean Griffin. Okay, this is on my channel. It's under the live tab. And in this, I go over lots of this, this whole Acts 15 because it was a huge uh, piece of, of Carlos's argument. Okay, so hopefully that's a help for you, brother. Check that out when you have time. Uh, you want to take just a couple more? Sure. Okay. Guys, uh, I don't... So someone's asking about answering our last question. You don't want to rewrite it. Um, if you if I didn't see it originally, it's because you put a link in there. You put a keyword that we have filtered out, and I didn't see it anyway. So I'm sorry. You may have to just rewrite it. Yeah, because I feel like we've seen every question that's popped up since we started at this point in the chat. So yeah, yeah. I have not seen that question. Typically, if I want a question answered in a chat that's moving really fast, the moment I type it, I copy it, and so I can paste it again later on if it if it doesn't get seen so just a suggestion maybe for next time uh, ben john's asking about jubilees 2 2 um, and i don't think the words say what you're summarizing here but if i could lovingly because i'm very familiar with that verse it's talking about on day one what was created on day one the waters in heaven and all the spiritual uh the spirits of his ministering spirits of heaven all the angel classes so it's not talking about humans, okay? That's on day six of creation. The rest of Jubilees 2 talks about when humans were made. Kingdom Way, no, I don't. I apologize. I don't even know what you're referring to. I've never heard of the learned elders of Zion. It's, uh, I think it's Jewish, Jewish conspiracy Zionist stuff. All right, I'm, I'm going to address this one quickly. Uh, it's more of a philosophical speculation than really a scriptural exegete but um fatty mother's asking why does satan seemingly play into god's hands when it comes to acting according to prophecies because he has no choice the father's going to accomplish what he was declared from the beginning he will accomplish it um and that satan is just along for the ride trying to deceive as many as possible along the way he technically has no power in this situation he has no choice so he has been given a choice a long time ago um to choose and he chose his lots and uh, and now he becomes the quote unquote the quote unquote spiritual destination for those who want to do wickedness. He encourages in them that through the variety of his deceptions, but um, but ultimately he has no choice. He's he's extremely weak compared to the rest of the angels in heaven and to obviously the Father and the Son themselves. And so he does he cannot control the future or change the future. Um, in fact, if you want to if you want to see more interesting perspective on this particular topic check out my 42 series called impossible spell 
and actually address why he wants to change the future, but ultimately is just powerless to do so. Yeah, I feel like he's the epitome of that phrase. If you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. And he's just, he's got nothing to lose and he knows what his fate is. And he's, so he's just going to go, he's going to go down and take as many souls as he can with him. I feel like that's his attitude at this point. Hey. <clears throat> what was that one? Uh, it's Dulcet Simone is asking, I hope I said that name right. Should someone brand new to Torah also study books like Enoch as well, or should that be off put off? Nope, you should study all of them. Because <laughs> uh, Enoch and Jubilees, um, Testament to all patriarchs, they're, they're the background, the patriarchal history, just like you have from Genesis. They're like an expanded version of Genesis, if you will. Um, so it gives you an incredible amount of depth of understanding by the time you get to Exodus and you start to see the children of Israel who are the descendants of the previous patriarchs in faith and belief being shown promises and protection of the covenant to give them an opportunity to uh, to serve Yahweh with faithfulness. And so you get a better, broader understanding of why things are happening in the early parts of Exodus chapters 1 through 19 uh, by studying Testamental Patriarchs, Enoch, and Jubilees, um, specifically those three books, I would say, in that chronological time frame of the quote-unquote Torah. And I'm just guessing you're using the word Torah based off Judaism's definition, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy. Yeah, in a perfect world, Enoch and Jubilees would be right before Genesis, and then right after Genesis would be Testament of the Twelve Patriarchs, and it would all be part of the book. So you'd be reading it, you know, in order, in that order, anyways. That's right. So, because that seems to be how our patriarchs uh, understood things before they had the book of Genesis. <laughs> That's right. So, Vitamin Z is asking, didn't Jesus tell the thief on the cross you'd be with him this day? Are you saying that the thief went to New Jerusalem? No, um, we're saying that you, this is the great comma question. The modern, the modern translators bias of putting a comma in English translations where they think it should go based on their understanding. So the ancient Greek didn't have commas. Okay. Jesus told the thief on the cross, I tell you this day, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus did not go to paradise that day. This is why we try to define where paradise is. Paradise is the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. Jesus didn't go up into the heavens until after his resurrection and ascension. He went into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, which is Sheol. He did not go to paradise that day. So the promise he's giving the thief on the cross is congruent with the thief's request. The request of the thief was when you come into your kingdom, when you come into your kingdom, that's the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of Christ. And of our Lord is Zion, the new Jerusalem. So the thief is asking, he does believe that he is the king of Israel. So when you come into your kingdom, please consider me. And Jesus says, yes, you'll be with me. I'll tell you this day, you'll be with me in paradise. When that happens, it hasn't happened yet. But when that happens, the kingdom comes, the resurrected in Christ are raised immortal and they are given their inheritances in the land of the new Jerusalem at the day of the Lord. That's when that happens. So the judge is looking at the other thief on the cross and saying, yes, I will judge you for immortality and eternal life. And you'll have a, a position in the new Jerusalem when I come into my kingdom, when that happens. OK, hopefully that, that uh, helps flesh that out a little bit. Can you imagine having been a fly on the wall down in Sheol for those three days? Like 
I just, I, I can't wait to get to the kingdom and like find some of the people that were down there already and be like, what was that like? What were the conversations like? You know, did Yeshua just sit down and chill somewhere and, you know, talk about the kingdom and the gospel and here I am and this is, I mean, I just. Or was it like, a, <laughs> was it similar to um, the, the arrival of his birth uh, with the, you know, the angelic choir and the, and, yeah. the, and the shepherds <laughs> and they're all like, you know, like, um, you know, I just, I, who knows? Yeah. Like, I wonder if there are people down there who had been faithful, faithful believers, but had been under banned teaching and didn't necessarily understand that he was going to, you know, die and resurrect three days later and like actually be down there with them. Like, I just, yeah, it's, uh, that sparked that question sparked for me. Like, wow, I wonder what that was like for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and even the angels themselves, because people don't understand the vast amounts of angels the Bible describes. Yeah. They don't understand how the Bible describes the hierarchy of angels and how they live on different layers of the heaven above. And they're not always just hanging out with Jesus all the time before he became incarnate through the womb of Mary. Yeah. So before, like when he was existing in a spiritual form of a spiritual heavenly body in heaven above, just like the angels have spiritual heavenly bodies, they all have their different places where they live, their different homes and territories and regions. And like, they don't all just hang out with him every day. Right. So even I would think even the angels in Sheol, when they're on their duty down there at that point, are enamored to see the king of heaven show up. Right. Accomplishing the mission for salvation. Right. Like they would also be just as enamored as the, the human souls waiting resurrection. Uh, yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating thought. I have a hidden camera down there. Right? Yeah. Little yeah, little Sheol us. security cam footage. Yeah. <laughs> you see everybody's like. He rings the ring doorbell and it starts recording and. We get to have a little picture of what that was like down there. <laughs> All right, guys, we're not going to take any more questions. Thank you so much for being here with us and asking questions and uh, just, you know, studying the Bibles with us. All right. Going on this journey with us of faith and belief, no matter where you are across the planet of the earth, we have several different countries watching today. So you guys are amazing. Um, we just want to encourage you where you are scattered across the earth. And just one day we'll all be together in the house of God with our creator and on as one big family. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Okay. Um, I just want to thank everyone for your continued prayers for our pregnancy. Still going strong. Haven't had any complications. I have been feeling Lots quite of, a bit of movement. Yeah. The last few, probably like four or five days, I've been feeling consistent movement. He seems to be on a little bit of a schedule so far. He seems to move quite a bit when I lay down for bed at night after Sean prays for us and talks to him a little bit. I'd like to feel more just because... That's the worry wart in me, but I'm thankful for um, the activity that I've felt already. So for people who've been wondering and praying for that, thank you very much. And that's the update for him. So there has been definitely more movement going on um, 23 weeks today. Um, I have my next back batch of thank you cards will be coming out next week for everyone who's um, gifted us something from the registry. We're really grateful for that. Some of you have sent, yeah. um, just sent donations and just say, here's something for Levi. Yeah. So all the awesome. people who do that for us, you just, it's, it's a, it's an incredible blessing for me because I don't really have much family. Um, many of them are spread across the United States. Many of them are estranged. It's yeah. just, it's, it's special for me to have people who are so invested in my pregnancy that I haven't even met face to face and I'm not related to. So it's a, it's just a comfort for me. And, um, it's a humbling experience. 
uh, to have so much support and love. And um, of course, the prayers, those that's what I appreciate the most. I could go without a registry or donations at all. And I would just relish the prayers. So that's what matters the most to me. So I just everyone who's been praying. Thank you so much. Um, of course, I would ask for you to continue because I still have I still have a little ways to go. <laughs> I'm like in that mindset of, yes, I'm excited, but I want to like get to that day so that I can, you know, meet him and know everything's okay. And here he is. So <laughs> continued prayers uh, for our pregnancy are greatly appreciated. And we just, uh, just appreciate you guys. Um, it's because of you that we can do this. It's because of you that Sean can devote 16 to 18 hours of his day um, studying the scripture and putting teachings together and um, conversing with other uh, online teachers and having conversations that edify you guys. And um, we just, there, there aren't enough words for me to express. So I could go on and on, but I think Sean yeah, wants me to know, finish up. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that. And I think that's something that the, the average viewer and, the, and even those who support us financially, like um, you guys, y'all may not realize the impact you have because of that. Um, yeah. So just here's a quick immediate example, right? Something that happened yesterday. Um, someone that I've never met before reached out to a mutual friend and said he wanted to talk to me because he had seen one of my recent debates with one of the Trinitarian believers. And he, he, he wanted to talk to me and ask me why I said some of the things I did. Now, this gentleman I've never met before. Um, he's a pastor of a church and uh, he, he has his own YouTube channel and it's like twice as big as mine. And he uh, he was interested in in some of my arguments against the Trinitarians that ended up being like an hour and a half, two hour discussion on Zoom where um, we got to talk about scriptures for like almost two hours. Right. It was great. And just, you know, he may not agree with everything I said, but that's the impact. Right. Is that he did. He he was he was uh, encouraged by seeing me in these debates. But he you know, he, he has his own slant. So he didn't agree with everything I said in the debate. But at the same time, it gave me an opportunity to share where I've come to my understandings and how I've come to understand certain things from Scripture, right? And and there's other pastors that have reached out to us over time that we haven't been able to engage with personally like that. Some of them have just written us letters, and we're they're being affected by by what we're talking about, what we're doing, and the time afforded to me to actually study the Scriptures, yeah. right, and to put teachings together to to coherently and hopefully powerfully communicates the scriptures very simply with sound definitions of terms and in context uh, so people can get it and it all makes sense. And you don't have to invent new interpretations to make it make sense. It just, you just take it directly from the words. That is the fruit of you guys watching us, supporting us, praying for us. Yeah. Like, cause you're, it's, I know that sometimes you may see our videos and say, Oh, well that video got like 5,000 views or 6,000 views or, um, less than that sometimes. And you think, well, are they really reaching people? Right. You guys have no clue what mm -hmm. I, I can't, I don't want to like, because I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to be in a weird spot of putting other people with large followings in a weird position. I don't want them to ever feel uncomfortable to talk to me. So I'm not going to just like secretly record them and then broadcast it later. Right. But we've had conversations with people behind the scenes who have massive followings, much larger than ours. Yeah. That, that, that are realizing that some of the stuff we're saying and, and exegeting from the scriptures is being put in a way that's understandable to them that they, they didn't learn in seminary or they didn't learn somewhere else. So I promise you guys, you're, you're, we're all hands and feet. 
we're all hands yeah. and feet just because I'm the dude filming myself on live and, you know, putting together the scripture slides and stuff like that. And, and uh, doing the debates and everything, I, you guys are a part of this. Like you're, you're actually making this reality for me through your help, through your donations, through your prayers, through your encouraging words, through watching the videos. Even sometimes when I re-upload a video that I just clipped out something you already saw previously, yeah. all that stuff, it all counts. You guys are uh, making a far reaching impact. Just like we, we had the opportunity because of your donations to create the, the Bible app, the fellowship finder and everything else. Yeah. The, the new project I'm about to announce this weekend that you guys have that are, I promise you're not, you're not ready for this. It's going to be amazing. Um, it's all because you guys have given us the opportunity to do this. Okay. So y'all are a huge blessing and um, we just, we just love and appreciate you all, even though we haven't been able to meet all of you yet. Yeah. So thank you. And may the Lord bless you. And um, we just, uh, every morning I thank the father for all of you. Like I pray for individuals in my life, but I lift up all of you guys as well and thank him for you. So just want to express our gratitude for that yeah. in case we haven't in a while. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. We're going to go Shabbat. Yeah. Love you guys. We'll see you next time. Have a great week.